0: Welcome. This is the Business of Vulnerability, the podcast that shares the wonderful work that individuals, organizations, and communities are doing around the world to try and help those who are most vulnerable. Welcome back to the Business of Vulnerability podcast. Today, we have Ginger Banding, who's the CEO and founder of Mission Driven Data. Ginger, thanks so much for coming on and chatting with us.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Blake. This is really fun.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry, we had some technical difficulties earlier, so I appreciate you coming on again. Uh, and we turns out we couldn't really have a podcast if we couldn't record, but we got that worked out. Um, so mission driven data. I was as I was. I had a little bit of time to think about this over the last uh, days as we were working out getting it rescheduled. I'm curious why you came up with the name of mission driven data. What you're doing and. And how you're helping organizations with data. It's a really fascinating topic. But can you start by just explaining what you do and and how you're helping groups?
1: Sure. Yeah. So, so I'm a social worker by background, and I started off doing direct practice where I worked in um, my very first job outside out of grad school was uh, working at a shelter, a drop-in center for individuals experiencing homelessness. And Mm -hmm. then I did community mental health kind of practice, where I was out in the field and met with individuals in their homes and things like that. And Throughout that time um, was right around the time, because I'm a little bit older, is right around the time when electronic health records started to become a thing. And so as I moved into doing quality improvement and compliance and things like that, as I kind of moved forward in my career, I started to feel like, well, we've got these new tools that we have available to us that we could use for things like improving the quality of our services. But over time, I've just felt like we never really capitalized on that. You know, we have this tool, it works well, most agencies can at least get billing done and scheduling done and basic like paperwork that they need to have completed and clinicians and other staff are spending a ton of time in there, like entering the data, but we're not always getting a ton of value back out of that in terms of helping us improve our system and getting the stories about what's going on for the folks we're serving in the communities that are that are out there. So. Um, A lot of what I like to do is think about our mission as community organizations and how our mission can drive the data that we're looking at instead of the other way around. Because we end up having a lot of reporting we're required to do where, oh, well, we're tracking that data because we have to. But maybe that's not really totally connected. I mean, we all have to stay in business in order to have our mission be met as well. But I've just wanted to really focus on how we could, starting from our mission, Put together data tools that helped organizations do more toward meeting their mission so that that's why wow. my name that's why i named my organization basically
0: uh, that's awesome i i'm really curious about the the transition from social work into technology like how did you make that jump because it feels i mean there's a difference between just working with with health records and then deciding you're going to dive into the technological piece like how did you decide you were going to do that and and uh, you know what gave you the confidence to to jump into a very complex and and complicated thing?
1: Well, I would say that for the longest time, I used to just say like, I'm not really a data person. I'm just a social worker, so I don't really know how any of this works. And then after I'd been doing this for a few years, some of my friends who were technically data people were like, You have to stop saying that because you actually know as much as we do. And it's just, <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. I'll <laughs> stop. I'll stop saying that. Um, I think, you know, um, when you have a background in education in something like social work, you know, we're, it's a little bit ingrained in us that like, well, you're, you're good at this one thing and you maybe aren't as good at this other one thing. Um, I, to be fair, like I technically was good at math, like in, you know, back in school. And I, my favorite subject math wise was geometry. Cause I really loved like doing proofs where you like, you go step mm-hmm. by step by step by step. And actually, a lot of the stuff that you do with data and technology relates to that sort of logical thinking thing. And I think that's what I love. So I like to think about a question someone has and then I like dissecting it and figuring out how to get to the answer to their question and then think like three steps more about like, but if they knew the answer to that question, what's their next question gonna be? And what's the next question and what might else be affecting this data? And so I really love doing that. And I find that when we can, like a lot of social workers, if you kind of get them thinking that way, if you're like, well, you you know the clients you work with, what are some other ways you might be able to tell if they're doing well? Or what are some other ways you might be able to tell if they're not doing well? You know, things like people stop answering their phone. You know, how many missed phone calls has somebody had? That might tell you something about how well they're doing, but it's not that data is probably in our systems, but we're not like looking at it from that perspective. So things like that. I just love to find like little, little clues to about, about how things are going.
0: I have seen some sort of correlation with people who love data, and it's almost as though the data is a puzzle, um, right? And, and trying to figure out the puzzle uh, is is the game. And it sounds very much uh, kind of what you're doing. The, the thing I find most fascinating is for a lot of organizations, uh, particularly in behavioral health or other social services, um, either, either they're too busy or, or preoccupied on the important tasks they're doing to to think about their data in that way, of, of having answers in the data a lot of times you mentioned it's a regulatory requirement or a requirement from funders or whatever it is as opposed to a tool they can use to be better at what they're doing how do yeah. you like when you approach an organization how do you try and help them bridge that gap go from i do stuff because it's required to i do things because it can help me get better what's what's kind of the process or the steps that you go through to be able to try and help them bridge that gap
1: well, you know I, I sometimes I think about it almost in terms of like the the higher well Maslow has a hierarchy of needs and there's some controversy around that, just FYI. It's not necessarily like Maslow had some issues. he kind of stole it from someone else. It's not super good. but the idea behind it is that you know, as humans, like if we can meet our basic needs, like that we need to have our basic needs met before we can kind of work towards like psychological needs and social needs and sort of community needs, right. Mm-hmm. So when I think about organizations, sometimes I think about them that way, too, that like, yes, they they need this baseline of stuff to work in their system. So they need like some basic operational stuff. They need to know, am I going to be able to make payroll next month? And like, do we have some big audit that's going to come and take half our money back? You know, so so I think that part of the reason people are having trouble, like thinking about the next level is a lot of electronic health records you know agencies struggle just to get that basic stuff in place and so of course they're just focused on well i can't really think about the next thing because i just gotta like make budget and i've just gotta like report back to my funders or they're gonna take away this funding and um and you know we're an underfunded system anyway most community organizations are underfunded so they're working with limited resources so I think what people typically find interesting and engaging and kind of gets them hooked on this idea is if you can start talking about like how each number in your data is like a person, you know? So if you're just looking at like on average, do we get people in for services within 14 days? And we say, yeah, we meet that. And that's what our funder requires us to report. We report that on average people get in within 14 days. But if I say like, but let's look at your data a little closer and there's 20 people who didn't get into services for six months. Those are like 20 people who waited six months. And if we look at those people, here are the five things they had in common, or, you know, that's just an example. But like, once you start talking about like, these 20 people waited six months to get in, what happened there? And how could we improve the system to help? So I think as we start narrowing it down a little bit, and it can still be big numbers, but I think as we start looking for like these stories that are woven in our data, um, and especially as we can see like a more, like the more the complex picture of a situation so like you know an average is a very you know it tells you some information but it it rules out all your outliers right like yep. if you had if most people get in within 7 days but then a few people get in in 30 days you know it throws your average off so i think i think intuitively people can understand that but as you start to talk about like um you know, people don't want their the individuals they serve to like fall through the cracks or not get services, right? They want yeah. to know like who out there struggling and how can these services that our organizations offer, how can we meet those where people are? So I think that gets people excited if they have like a clinical background and like a passion for this work.
0: I, I think you're very much right. There, there's a, a big movement, at least I've found, to try and bring the people that are being served back to the forefront sometimes you know when you have this large aggregation of data it's really easy to to disenfranchise people from it and forget yeah. that yeah sure yeah on average everyone's having a good experience or having getting to the system and meeting metrics but but those outliers especially the most extreme outliers are real people that like you said you know if they waited six months to get in or you know n- never were able to have a follow-up appointment or whatever it is, like those are real people whose lives are dramatically affected. And, and so I I do see a big trend kind of in the industry pushing in that direction. Um, if you're an organization that is is interested in this type of thing, like where, do, where does someone start? Like if I'm listening uh, besides, you know, calling mission-driven data and having you come in, but like <laughs> where would I where would I even start to just start thinking about these things and start teasing out some of these type of things? Uh, uh, problems, I guess, for me to look for solutions.
1: You know, I think, you know, I'm a big believer in like starting simple. So, you know, um, I think with, with the pandemic, a lot of agencies pivoted to doing telehealth, right? So yeah. what we used to be able to kind of, in, what, what I think a lot of agencies are struggling with is... You used to be able to kind of like walk in your front door of your lobby and there'd be people there and they were getting help. And you could like look around and be like, oh, things are working. People are getting help. People are here. You know, I see people going back to see their therapists and all that stuff. So, I mean, I think on a really basic level, if agencies are just able to even get like the basic information about like how many services are we billing out compared to what we were, because billing is still happening, right? Most agencies are doing that electronically. So, if even if you just have your billing claims, But just one level below, just one level past, looking at just the number of claims, like how many unique clients were you serving? How many new unique clients had a service in those months? And how did that compare to the same months last year or like a year when you weren't having a pandemic? Um, Another thing that I see a lot of agencies do is they'll look at trends, like they'll compare March to April, which of course this year would have been a terrible year to do that. But but even on a normal year, quote unquote normal, a behavioral health or most behavioral health or community organizations have like natural cycles of people coming in so they'll have a sometimes october is a busy month and sometimes february is a busy month and so if you say like how did we do in august compared to october like you don't really you're not comparing apples to orange apples you're comparing apples to oranges so if you can really start like take your data from a year ago and compare it to your data this year then you can start seeing and so Um, But I think, again, like, it's easy. It's not easy, but it's pretty typical to, like, look at, like, the amount you build because that is meaningful, right? But Mm -hmm. if your number of unique clients you're serving has shifted, like, perhaps... Um, it could be go either way, right? Like maybe you're seeing more clients, but clients are getting less services per client because staff are busy or, you know, one thing I've heard anecdotally is that it's harder to keep folks on the telephone. If you're chatting in person for an hour, the time flies by, but if you're chatting on the phone, people get tired of being on the phone. Right. Um, so maybe the amount of billing quote unquote that you're doing, has gone down, but are you seeing more unique clients or conversely? are you doing the same amount of billing, but actually it's just a course out of clients and quite a few of your clients have like maybe dropped off and are not accessing services. So I think if you just started with that, you know, just unique clients versus build claims, you would start seeing a picture of what's going on with your population of folks.
0: Hmm. You, Most agencies,
1: uh, you can at least get that.
0: And so in that explanation, you mentioned kind of the the new normal that is COVID that everybody's trying to deal with. How has that changed kind of the work that you're doing? Like, how did COVID affect uh, the the work and and the the I guess uh, overall business of mission driven data?
1: Well, um, you know, I'm still a pretty new company, so I would say that um, so around March was when I was planning to go to a whole bunch of conferences, and uh, <laughs> I think we talked about this, Blake, because you were going to do yep. that too. <laughs> Definitely. So, uh, yeah, I was scheduled. Um, in fact, I have a lot of credit at the various airlines now because I had to cancel on my flights to, to various conferences. Um, because, you know, I think part of what I love to do is have these kind of conversations with people in person where I, you know, if I'm sitting next to someone and we're talking about a presentation at a conference and I say like, gosh, I wish they had done a little deeper dive on this or gosh, this is really interesting or what are you doing at your agency? And, um, so I love those opportunities and, um, so it has shifted how I'm doing that. So instead, you know, of course, like I've made some friends or, you know, colleagues over zoom where, you know, we happened to chat around the time that lockdown happened. And, you know, it was actually kind of fun in a way I have like one particular customer that we totally bonded because like we were going through the same thing, you know, like, Oh, are things open where you are? No, things aren't open where mm-hmm. I am. And You know, um, so in some ways, I feel like the folks that I am working with, I've just kind of bonded with because we've all been through this shared thing. But I I do think that initially a lot of agencies were just operating in like crisis mode, which is very familiar. If you're in the behavioral health field, you're like, we know what crisis mode is, which is, you know big decisions are kind of put on hold while you're just kind of like getting through the day to day. And Mm -hmm. agencies did this amazing work where, you know, lots of them stood up huge telehealth networks and they're doing, you know, all the way from like regular therapy appointments over zoom to like peer run groups over zoom, you know, where like individuals who receive services are connecting with other individuals. I mean, amazing, awesome things. I think what's shifting now, what I'm starting to see is that agencies are starting to realize like this isn't just going to go away. We're going to have to like, you know, we're not gonna be able to put off all our big decisions until COVID's over, right? So I think, and I think, as people are starting to think about budgeting for the next 12 to 18 months, now is when people are really actually starting to think like, I've got to know what's going on, I have no idea what shifted. So Mm -hmm. I started working on some reports for people where it's like, you know, they're like, why is my budget so off this year? And it's what they want to go explain to their board, like, well, here was our trajectory, we were going up, 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 And then there's like March and now we're kind of going up and we're kind of back to where we were like, let's say 2018 but we're not back to where we thought we would be based Mm -hmm. on how we were growing. So, and then of course we're all waiting for this big onslaught potentially of need that's gonna come out of the pandemic. And everyone's gonna need to figure out how to, you know, how we shift again to like meet that need when assuming we think that's probably coming.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've been afraid of the tidal wave of mental health problems, unfortunately, that that seems inevitable, uh, especially the longer this continues. And, uh, I, you know, I felt that that strain in my own life. I imagine so many other people are feeling it as well. Um, you, you mentioned just a little bit like the budgeting problems. Are there other problems organizations are interested in data-wise that have to do with COVID? Like any other unique puzzles that have come out of this from that wouldn't have been there if COVID hadn't happened?
1: Um, you know, that's interesting. I I mean, some of it is financial. I think some of it is um, trying to think about, I think thinking about as they're starting to pivot back to doing some in-person services, figuring out if those in-person services are being targeted to the folks who most need it, or who are maybe not the high like, Trying to balance out, you know, just like we all are with uh, we're making these decisions about like, should I visit my grandma? Should I visit my great grandma? Should I visit my great grandma if she's in a nursing home? Should I? You know, all of these different we're all trying to figure out the right way to handle risk. And I think as agencies are putting in place some in-person services, thinking there's some thinking out there about like, okay, so um, we're opening up the door that some people can start getting in-person services. How's that prioritizing going? Like, are we getting folks in who need it the most and or are we helping to provide services in the least risky way we can within that? So I think a lot of agencies are have never had you know, we were starting to move toward integrated care anyway in behavioral health, where we were starting to think about people as whole people and what are some of their um, co-occurring medical conditions, right? Mm-hmm. And now that's become even more important. Like, who on our who in our population might have a risk factor that we should be considering if we're thinking about bringing back in-person services and should we be having that conversation with them about, hey, you, you might be at a little higher risk because you have this respiratory disease or because you have this, you know, co-occurring problem. So, like, maybe we should make some special um arrangements so that we can protect you so Mm -hmm. i think that's another piece that i know some agencies are trying to track um folks um like COVID status like have they been tested um Mm -hmm. those kinds of things just to kind of know in terms of like their staff level risk as well so like if staff are going out to people's homes keeping track of who out there um has been struggling with maybe symptoms or not it's also a big deal in residential programs um, residential programs for mental yeah. health and behavioral health. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there some states have put in place specific extra rules around that stuff. Um, some types of organizations or some types of facilities have just not been able to figure out how to make it work. Like if it's a congregate sleeping area, like a bunk bed situation, it's really hard to make that work. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is really true. It's one of those where... Uh, that some of the traditional models are just not going to work for a while. Um, and, and I think it actually highlights, uh, honestly, a lot of the importance of what you're doing because new solutions are going to be, need to be created and, and teased out from data. Um, yeah. And uh, there's, there's really no other option. Yeah. Um, for groups that are considering working with somebody like mission driven data, I'm, I'm curious, like at what level of an organization do you normally work? Is it like with executives? Is it, Somewhere farther down, is it more like the, the front lines? Where do, do groups get the most bang for their buck by, by having somebody look at data and try and find some of these puzzles and tease out some of these solutions?
1: I would say that most agencies um, have somebody that's at least like data curious on their staff. So sometimes that's a clinician type person who's like really mm-hmm. into it and wants to learn more. Sometimes it's someone from the billing department who's like, I get all this data, but the clinicians feel, I feel like they never get any data to see what their job's like. And like, I feel like we could give them better tools. Um, sometimes it's someone who's done more like a front desk kind of stuff. Cause that's sort of the hub of a lot of clinics. Mm-hmm. And so if they they've they've seen all of the issues, basically, that might pop up as people come and go from appointments or missed appointments or all those things. So but I think mm-hmm. basically most organizations are someone who kind of becomes like the champion who's sort mm-hmm. of like. Um, and and it, it's important to have someone in that organization, because every organization runs a little differently. So, you know, I have some solutions that I can provide that are sort of template sort of things. But um, every organization is going to have something special that they do. And that's one of the reasons it's been hard for behavioral health to build data tools, because sometimes there's so much variation <laughs> that, you know, mm. it's like, well, we can't, that doesn't really mean anything to us because we don't count services that way. Or that doesn't really mean anything to us because, you know, we bill 24 hours of service at a time and it looks like one person did 24 hours, but of course they didn't. It's really, you know, there's all these little nuances. But um, but I think for too long, we've kind of let that be like a, the end of the conversation. And I'm really passionate about like, well, okay, yes. And there are probably some things we could agree we could think about, you know, like how many people we served, <laughs> you know. Yep you know, there's a reason we're using a a diagnostic manual. It's not perfect. It has a lot of flaws, but like we are using a shared language for a reason and not really taking advantage of what we could be getting out of that, you know? So, so yeah, I would say it varies, but you know, I'm always surprised there are often like clinician people who are like interested in data, but sort of, you know, they, they just don't have anywhere to take that interest. And so Mm -hmm. i Part of what I try to do is build tools that are kind of interactive so that you can kind of find those people. Because if you give someone who started data interested a tool that's interactive, they'll start looking at it in different ways. They're kind of they're clicky. You know, they click on everything. But that's actually how you find out like, oh, you're someone who's kind of into this. Like maybe you would mm-hmm. be someone who could help your organization in that way. So
0: it's interesting in my mind. I see you building tools for yourself uh a few years ago if that makes any sense right (laughs) somebody that says i'm not a data person but i'm kind of interested in this um (laughs) right like that that to me feels like what you're doing
1: yeah a little bit that that rings true for sure yeah and i think yeah it yeah i think that's probably true
0: (laughs) (laughs) well awesome well we're running a little short on time i am curious um what is if 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 people are listening to this and say like i need help teasing out some of these things i'm I'm not the puzzle person. I need somebody's help and they're interested in mission-driven data. What's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: Um, I mean, people are welcome to check out my website, which is missiondrivendata.com, And you're also um welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm just Ginger Bandine, B-A-N-D-E-E-N. Um, I'm the only me with that name, so that works out well. Um, <laughs> um Um, I also have a free community for people who are interested in this kind of work. It's called Transforming Mental Health, and I host it over on Mighty Networks. But the easiest way to find that is through my website also, um, which is MissionDrivenData.com. So, yeah.
0: Awesome. Hey, Ginger, thank you so much for coming on. And I hope people uh, are, A, inspired by your work, but also, B, reach out if they're interested in trying to tease out some of these things. Because like we mentioned, there's so many new problems here that need to be solved um and and i think data holds a lot of the solutions as long as we're willing to look at it in the right way
1: yeah i agree and someday blake you should let me interview you about all the cool stuff you're doing with data
0: (laughs) i would (laughs) i would be happy to uh very little cool things we do but we we do gather some some awesome data about humans right really we just we just try and help people see people as people and um anytime you want you're welcome to to interview me (laughs) for anything you'd like i'm I'm happy to bloviate as much as you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you for listening to The Business of Vulnerability. If you or someone you know would be a wonderful guest for our next recording, please let us know at Team Pulse. That's T E A M P U L S E at PulseForGood.com. Thank you.